Let's pray. Father, it is a privilege to be in this house with your church, worshiping together, Father. Uh, Lord, if there's people here that are hurting today, struggling, Father, I pray that your word would encourage them today. You'd bless them, Father God. Thank you for bringing folks here, Father, to hear your word, of which, Lord, without you, uh, I can't do this. Lord, I come to you and ask, Lord Jesus, that your word would come off the written page and minister to your people. Father, you desire that even more than I do. So, Lord, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do with the passage today. Lord, give me the the, the recall and the 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 boldness to preach your word, Lord Jesus. And may you be glorified today in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. John chapter 4, go there. We're working our way through John, the gospel. We're going slow. We're trying to see things that maybe we haven't seen as we've read these, these uh, texts. John chapter 4, verse 19 is where we're going to start here. We're still in the Samaritan woman at the well. <clears throat> the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, <clears throat> and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we know what we, what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now the Samaritans believed that, and I mentioned this the last uh, two weeks, they believed that Moses, uh, they believed in the Mosaic law, they followed that, but they had mixed it with idolatry in Samaria. And the Samaritans believed that Moses commissioned an altar on Mount Gerizim, which was called the Mount of Blessing, it was all also called the show mountain. But they, this was their justification of their system of worship on that mountain. They thought that Moses had put it together since uh, Shiloh, everyone knows where Shiloh was, that's where the tabernacle ended up. So they thought Moses uh, had put all this together. They eventually combined the Mosaic law, like I said, with idol worship. <clears throat> but like any faith that tries to combine elements of idolatry or, or, or different religions ends up worshiping really what they don't know. Okay? It turns out to be they don't know God. Now notice what Jesus, his response there in, in verse 22. As I said, you worship what you do not know. And it's an implication. He's implying here that you don't know me. And I've covered that. So both is yes, if you look at here, you worship what you do not know, we know what we worship, says for salvation of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit 
but the Father is seeking such to worship. Samaritans also, also only accepted the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture. Uh, they rejected the rest. So Jesus points out to her uh, a time when worship would no longer be focused on places of worship, neither in Jerusalem or neither on Mount Gerizim. But the greater work of Jesus would eventually bring a greater and more spiritual worship. So a worship that Jesus would define as spirit and truth. So let's just, before we go into that, let's, let's talk about the object of worship, where we should be. Our worship is of God, amen? Matter of fact, Psalm 95, verses 6 through 7, says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. So you just look at that verse. We find in, in, in those verses there the correct object of our worship, the Lord Jehovah. Okay? And we find in these verses the correct attitude of worship prostrating ourselves or bowing down before God. Is that something you think we need to do? Bow a knee to God? Okay, absolutely. But we find in these verses the foundation of the correct action in worship, that's hearing his voice. We're talking about worship. Worship isn't just singing. It's not like we would define worship today. Most churches are entertainment facilities okay that you know let's hear the worship man and all their cds available in the in the in, in out in the foyer after the in the concert you know but worship would start here if you look at this verse uh today if you will hear his voice worship part of that is hearing him listening to him john four twenty four, god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, we find the correct object of worship here in this verse. God, who is a spirit, and we find the correct attitude of worship, worship in spirit. And we find in these verses, or in, in, in that verse there, we find the foundation of for correct action in worship, which is truth. So the definition of worship here, okay, literally the Greek word is proskuneo. And that means to kissing the hand towards one in reverence, you know, bowing, taking the hand, okay? Like a king would put out his hand. What are you going to do? We don't live under that kind of environment, praise, praise the Lord. I mean, we do as believers, but if, if I bow my knee, I'm not going to get back up here. So uh, I'm going to bow my knee, but I'm going to kiss the hand. That's, that's what it implies, okay? Worship is, is to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. That's what's in that worship there, that word worship. This word of worship, proskuneo, occurs 60 times in the New Testament and has always rendered worship. That's what it is. It's worship with the definition I just gave. There's another word for worship, which is, which is uh, sabome. It occurs 10 times in the, in the New Testament, and that means to stand in awe, okay? To reverence or to adore God. How many of you stand in awe of God? 
I mean, are you just amazed at him? Okay? But not just amazed at him. Are you, are you in, do you reverence him? Is there reverential fear there between you and him? Is there, is there do you adore him? I mean, this is, it starts to get into the relationship that you should have with God. I love him. I adore him. He's not that he's cute, that kind of adornment, but I just, oh, he's amazing. And everything he does is amazing. That, that would be Sebamei. Okay. Now, Latreo, which occurs 21 times in the New Testament, translated 17 times as service and four times as worship. This is another word for worship. It means to render religious service or to worship God in the observance of rites instituted for worship or you know, obedience, things like that. All right. So um, from these word studies, it's clear that true worship entails participation. If I'm worshiping God, I'm, I'm involved in that worship. We must be participants, not spectators. Okay? God didn't call me to, to come and watch you worship. He didn't put me in this body to watch you participate. He put me in this body to participate. I am a worshiper. All right? So in, in true worship, we're, we are not the audience. God is. We're not the audience. I'm not here to perform for you. You're not here to perform for me. You're not performing for the one next to you. The audience is God. Who am I singing to? God. Now just think about that. Just close your eyes to the people that are around you, and your worship is directed at him and him alone. Now some say, you know, uh, or I should say our aim then should be to please God. I come to here to worship on Sunday because I want to be pleasing to him. I, I'm coming for him. I'm not coming for necessarily you. Although the residual, the side effect is what? We're ministering to one another. Some say I don't, I don't get anything out of worship. This shows they have a false concept of what worship is. So if you're not getting anything out of worship, it's because you're not putting enough into worship. Mere attendance must never be equated with worship. Just because I come to church doesn't mean I'm worshiping God. I don't walk into a building and I'm automatically worshiping God because just the fact that he's, uh, he, he's my presence is in the building is worshiping God. That's not the case. So worship is drawing nigh unto God, drawing to him, not, not to the church building. I come into a building to worship God. I draw near to him. He's the object of worship, not us. Okay? So I'm kind of you know, laying this out a little bit. Some view worship as a form of like personal entertainment, yet worship has nothing to do with that. If you look at Psalm 69.9, go to Psalm 69.9. What does that say? says, or worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fear before him all the earth. 69.9? Well, whatever I have here <laughs> is a great verse. I, anyway, it, it's in there, okay? But holy worship is worship that is sanctified and set apart for the express object being God. Some view worship as a form of self-expression. God, 
Listen, God does not need us to express ourselves in worship. Acts 17. Now go there. All right? 23-25. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made of, with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He doesn't need my, uh, some form of self-expression. He, he does not need us to express ourselves in worship. He's a self-sustaining God. He is deserving of worship because why? Why is God deserving of worship? Because he's God? Yeah. Because he's holy. Okay? Because he's holy. Psalm 99 verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, he is what? Holy. Now, exalt him. We see that. Worship at his footstool. We defined what worship is. Bowing a, a, your, your head to the ground, bowing down before him, kissing his hand, you know, all those things that, adoring him, being in awe of him. Because why? Again, because he's holy. Now, Matthew 4.10, if you go to Matthew in, in the New Testament, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Okay? So, he deserves worship. Okay, so when it comes to worshiping God, what attitude should we have? Humble? What else? Reverential. I like that. Okay, so what else? Humble, reverent, joyful, okay, thankful, obedient. Okay, let's go, let's start with Micah. I got a few, we'll start with Micah here. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Now again, we're looking at here, what attitude should we have when it comes to worshiping a holy God? We, we talked about what it should look like in our bowing to him and and being in awe of him, Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord. Let's look at that as worship. Okay, I'm worshiping God. What does he want me to be like? To be just. Okay, what's just? Give me another. What's right? So righteousness. To be, to my behavior should be righteous. So he wants me to be just. To love what? Mercy. Not just to give mercy, but to love it. Okay? If I love something, that's what I'm going to, that's where I'll, I want to be around mercy. I want to disperse mercy. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a, 
a, a people that would love mercy more than sacrifice. So, and to, do, to walk humbly before your God. And you can go look at Isaiah 66, the first two verses, and see that kind of behavior. Who, who is it that God wants to have fellowship with? The brokenhearted, the contrite in spirit. Also, Isaiah would, in another, in the fifth, I forget which passage that is, but. So let's go on Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. Again, what attitude should we have when we worship a holy God who we're supposed to be awestruck with? Now, I hope this, as you're looking at this, you're saying, Lord, is that the way I worship you? Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23 says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now you say, okay, why did I use that verse? If you died with Christ, uh, what should worship look like in that? Is worship just about a bunch of man-made rules? Is it? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, sometimes our worship is built around commandments of men and not the word of God. We don't want to worship that way. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Okay, so let's look at worshiping a holy God like that. How do I set my mind on things of, above? And what does that look like? Okay, what am I meditating on? Okay, what occupies my thought life? Am I thinking about the Word of God, Scripture? Am I thinking about how to please God? Am I thinking about loving Him? All these different things go into that. It says, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So worshiping him is focusing on those things that are above, not things that are on the earth. What about Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25? Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he in, con consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith. Now look at the act of worship there. Drawing near with what? With a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of what? Well, faith gives that full assurance. But what full assurance? What are you fully assured of? Salvation? Everything about Christ. Everything that Christ has said he is and said he will do. And everything he has done. All of it. The whole package. The gospel. With full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's an act of worship. Okay, uh, Worshiping God, what am I doing? I'm holding fast 
The confession of our hope without waver. What's your confession of your hope? What's your hope? Christ. Your confession about Christ. Who he is, what he's done. Let us hold fast to that, right? Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's an act of worship. Okay, I'm, what's my, what's a way to worship God is to stir up in you and you in me to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So worship is even encouraging the brethren. Worship isn't just singing. It, worship isn't just giving. You know, it's, it's other things. Psalm 51, 17. Let's say the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So when God looks at worship, somebody said humility out there. What's he, when he looks for worship, he's after a broken spirit. Now, what, what's a broken spirit? What's it mean you have a broken spirit? Humble and tender, right? There you go. I can't do it. How many have got to that place in their life where they say, I can't do it. I can't do anything without Jesus Christ. Well, that's a humble and contrite heart. That's a broken and contrite. That says God, he says, I will not despise. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite. What's contrite? Broken. A contrite and humble spirit. A broken spirit. It's that person that says, Father, I am a sinner. I can't do anything to save myself. Lord, save me. He says, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And here's that Isaiah 66 verse, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. Now, you're worshiping God. You, you're looking to him. Do you want him to look at you? What is it that causes God to turn his head and acknowledge you? Just think about that. What, what is it that grabs God's attention in the believer's life? On this one, I will look. On him who is poor or, or humble and of a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, and who trembles at my word. Wow. God, that's, that's worship. How, how many of you tremble at his word? And what does that mean? You're afraid of what it says so I can't read it? No. What does it mean to tremble at God's word? Well, there's a fear of justice. There's a fear of judgment. But if I'm, tre I'm in awe of his word, I'm, I'm trembling. And there is a fear factor in that. That if I don't obey it, there's consequences to it. But boy, I tremble at his word like it's there's nothing on this earth or in heaven or on earth that's more important than the Word of God. That's it. Do I treat 
do I worship that way? Oh, it's, I'll come and sing, and the Bible says we're supposed to do that. As a matter of fact, if we go to Ephesians here, chapter 5, verse 19, Ephesians 5, 19, it says we're supposed to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in, our, in your heart to the Lord. When was the last time you were in a conversation and you just started to break out in a psalm? Huh? No, you're laughing. But aren't I supposed to speak to you in psalms? In psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs? Listen, the only one that communicates that way in this church is sitting back there. You know, it's a song for everything. But I have never walked up to somebody and said, I got something to say to you. Praise the Lord. Is that ridiculous? I mean, is that really crazy? Or why is it here? Certainly is to, to, to minister to one another with a joyful heart, isn't it? Wouldn't that be there? But we're in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to who? Look at that. I'm supposed to speak to you. Let me back up here. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to who? I'm speaking to you. I'm also speaking to somebody else. It's worship. Now, we can, our, our prayer life, if you look at Philippians chapter, chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And now, everybody's doing that, right, all the time? Because we're supposed to pray without ceasing. So here, here's another act of worship, our prayer life. Now, a lot of people don't look at their prayers, worship to God. And it's sad because we don't engage like we should in prayer. We don't worship him like we should in prayer. What, what lacks mostly in the believer's life? Prayer life. It's that we're always too busy to pray. Or if we pray, oh, I've got to make it quick. The game's on, you know, or dinner's hot. But, or whatever the case may be, we don't really spend quality time with the Lord in prayer. But yet we should because it's an act of worship. We, we treat it like it's, it's a have to sometimes. Oh, we give? We're, are we called to give to God? But we worship God in our giving also. Now, uh, go to 1 Corinthians 16. Okay, 1 Corinthians 16. In the first two verses. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must all do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no... Collections when I come, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem, and it goes on. We're commanded to what? On the first day of every week, to do what? Lay something aside for the body of Christ. That's an act of worship. Of course, we, we look at the Lord's Supper. Is that an act of worship? Yeah, it is. So how does the Lord want to be worshipped. We know what worship is. How does he want to be worshipped? In spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship the Father in spirit and truth? Many say it means to worship God from the heart, which would mean in spirit, 
or and to worship God as he directs in his word, that would be, and in truth. Yet note the contrast that Jesus made. Let's go back to the text here. The Jews had worshipped correctly by going to Jerusalem. Okay? But the time was coming when that place would not be important. Okay? So a contrast is being made between, really, Old Testament worship and New Testament worship. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay? Somehow, Old Testament worship had not been in spirit and truth because that's, that is certainly what their worship in Jerusalem and even the Samaritans on the mountain weren't measuring up to spirit and truth. Yet God required worship from the heart of the Jews, didn't he? We go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go back to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now everybody knows that to be, what is it called? What's that called? Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So he required worship from the heart, from the heart, from the Jews. Isaiah chapter 1. Let's go to verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, and give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. And when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before me, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they are as they shall be white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, they shall be as wool. So God had required worship from the heart from these Jewish people, okay, from his chosen people. And God has required, oh, go back to Deuteronomy. He's required it as directed by his word. And so Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 32 and 33, says, Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Now, did they do that all the time? No. But it was out there for them to, to worship God in Jerusalem that way. But it wasn't in spirit and in truth yet. Because this, this, this changes it. 
Worshiping God in spirit means to offer spiritual worship opposed to carnal ordinances. So they were going through the duties that this required, the sacrifices, the temple worship, the feasts, all these things. It consisted of fleshly ordinances, a physical structure, a tabernacle, special priesthood, clothing for the priests, lampstands, burning incense, all these different things that were that the, the flesh would engage in. Instruments of music, feast days, animal uh, sacrifices, grain sacrifice or meal sacrifices, all which appealed to the carnal or physical senses of man. New Testament worship is geared more toward the spiritual side of man, the born-again man, the born-again woman. So God's temple is now spiritual, made up of people, Christians. It's not a building anymore. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 3.16. Go to 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Old Testament time, where was, where was the Spirit of God at? In the temple, in a building. Where is he today? In us, the believer. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, since we're in that area, go to... Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of what? The household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So we are now the house of God, of which Jesus is that chief cornerstone. So, all Christians are, back then they had priests. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up. A spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And if you would, then jump over to verse 9 there. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So all Christians are, were priests, so to speak, offering up spiritual sacrifices. If we go to Revelation chapter 5, 8, our prayers are now incense. They used to burn incense in the temple. What is in this worshiping God in spirit? Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of what? Incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. You can see things have changed. It's no longer a physical structure that I can necessarily see and touch with my hands. I'm part of this, this worshiping God in spirit. And sometimes things uh, we're part of, but we don't see. We, you know, I, I know I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That's one, you know, the Spirit is not just in that building. He's in me. How do I know he's in me? Well, he bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. 
he, he does things. I see the fruit of the Spirit in my own life. So the emphasis is, when he says uh, worship in spirit, the emphasis is on the spirit of man, not physical senses. So when you get, remember Hebrews 9. Let's go back to Hebrews 9 here. Uh, I didn't read it yet, but let's go to Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 10. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinance of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, and in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with, with gold, in which were the golden pot, they had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing services. But into the second part of the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Okay, so how do you have access to God now? Through Jesus, not through the, not through the, the building. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the, the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. Who's the time of Reformation? Jesus. Okay? Jesus. So true worship in, in spirit is those things... Uh, Spiritual things. It's not the building. It's, it's not the, the lampstands. All those things were pointing to Christ. Okay? So once Christ shows up, once Christ goes to the cross, once Christ is resurrected, those things aren't worshipped anymore. They're tools that were, or shadows that would point us to what they, what they symbolize, to Christ. So, true worship in worship in spirit, and what about truth? Now, worshiping God in truth means to offer true, real worship to God. It is to worship according to the commands of God. Certainly, uh, we should do this, but this is what God already expected when we read back there in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He expects obedience, okay? He expects us to do these things. Jesus admitted that the Jews were right in their worship. So they were doing that part of it right. <clears throat> so what then is the contrast between worship that was and that which is now is? Look at, look at the verse here, okay? What's, how does he say that? Let me get back here to, you worship what you do not know, you know what we worship. The hour is coming and now is, okay, see that? When the true worship true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking those such to worship him. So 
What then is the contrast between the worship that was and the worship that now is? Not between, not between true or false worship, okay? But between that which is true or real and that which had been a shadow of things to come. That's what he's implying there. Okay. So many elements of worship in the Old Testament were simply a shadow or a figure of what was to come. So the tabernacle was a symbol. We go back to, uh, to Hebrews 9 again, verses 6 through 10. Let me read that again. So Hebrews 9, 6 through 10. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services, but into the second part the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Okay, so the law with its worship was only a shadow of that which is to come. Look at 10.1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they, they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Why couldn't it? Why couldn't it make them perfect? Because it's a shadow of the good things to come. It wasn't intended to do that. Who, who could do that? Jesus so that was a shadow, a picture of Christ to come. You know, it, it's sad to me that a lot of people will get sucked back into the keeping of the law. You know, a lot of places of worship are, are doing that and putting the people back into bondage. It's like grace didn't matter. You know, they'll go back and they'll start worshiping the feasts and, and we're doing God in the Old Testament way. Now, those are good to, to know. They're good to understand, but you better know that they were there to point you to Jesus, not to get back under all that stuff. So the tabernacle is a symbol. The law with its worship was only a shadow of that to come. And Christ is now the true tabernacle. He, you know, that he is that, uh, if we look at Hebrews 9, verse 11, let's go to verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Verse 12 says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained, what did he obtain for you? Eternal redemption. Okay, so look over at verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies 
of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So we should expect the worship of the, uh, of the true to be different from the shadow. Right? So Jesus must be worshipped, or God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Now, how, how then can a person develop a worshiping spirit? What, what's required for us to enter into a kind of a, a, this spiritual realm where we are actively seeking God in spirit and truth? So I, I thought of five different things, okay? There are five realities, I'll put it that way, that must be in place for you and me to be able to worship God this way. And some of it we already looked at. But first of all, I must be born again. It's impossible for me to worship God in spirit and in truth if I'm not born again. So we must be born again. Authentic worship of God can only be found in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, It can't happen any other way. The, the only access that any person has to the Father is through the Son. And so I have to be born again. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, for this to even happen, there has to be a relationship there. Second, we must be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Okay? All genuine worship of God is the work of who? The Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the spirit of the believer. Now, who knows the Lord better than, his, than the Holy Spirit? Nobody, right? Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, go there. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 through 13. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man? Small s, okay? Now, the, you know, who knows me best? Besides God, who knows me best? Me. Okay? Me. So, so it says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might... Know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So what does it say? I, my, my spirit, small s, knows me, knows what's going on in me, right? And only the Holy Spirit knows what God's thinking or what God's going to do, but that spirit is put inside of me. So now I and you who are believers know the things of God, right? These things, and it said, you know, so he, he, he hasn't, and they've been freely given to us, this knowledge of him. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay? So as a believer, as a believer yields to the influence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, okay, worship will be the result going to happen it'll naturally happen and worship that is not motivated and directed by the holy spirit will be flawed at 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 best it will be bl blasphemous if the spirit of god's not in that 
The Holy Spirit must lead the worship. That's my point. I must be born again. I must be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And my thoughts must be centered on God. You know, worship is that natural overflow of a mind that's been filled and renewed by God's word or God's truth, okay? We call this, how, how does that happen? If I go to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know the verse, you've read it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, on that thinking then, on our thoughts must be centered on God, how do I do that? Be in the Word? Okay, let's, let's add to that, because that's the start. Then I, I need to do something with the Word. Meditate on it, okay? I, I chew it over and over. I, I meditate. To meditate is simply to focus the entire mind on one subject. So as we meditate on the Word of God, we will discover more about Him, and my, it just helps me to be, keep my mind centered on God. Well, it's been said about those who do not want to meditate on God's Word that they love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth into the field to gather it. The fruit hangs on the tree, but they will not pluck it. And the water flows at their feet, but they'll not stoop to drink it. So don't be like that. You know, we get so busy doing things that we see as maybe urgent, and we take no time for the one thing that is really important. That thing is spending time at the Savior's feet. Difference between Mary and Martha. Okay, so the fourth thing is we must have an undivided heart. We need to be born again. We must be yielded to the Spirit of God. We, our thoughts must be centered on God, and we must have an undivided heart. God and God alone must be the focal point of our worship. I can't mix it with something else. That's not going to work. We must guard against the temptation to allow the Lord to be crowded out of our thoughts uh, by a million other things, and, and we do that. How many do that? I, I, I'm praying, and all of a sudden, I'm daydreaming. It's a fleshly weakness that I don't like. It's like, I feel like, oh, Lord, why, why do you even put up with me? I, I'm like Peter. Could you just look? He says, stay here and pray, right? Lest you fall into what? Temptation. Okay. Could things have turned out different? And what was to come if Peter and the disciples would have been praying? He made the point, lest you fall into temptation. Temptation's coming. I think, man, do we struggle with temptation in our life just because we don't have a prayer life? That's a good point. Because what did Peter do? What's, what's he doing? Sleeping. My goodness. We don't, the Spirit wants to engage with God like that, but our flesh is weak. Psalm 108, verse 1 says, Oh God, my heart is steadfast. This is David. And I will sing and give praise, even with my glory. I, I want a steadfast heart in these things. 
Okay, number five. We must have a repentant heart. Just as worship involves all these other things, it also involves the concept of cleansing, purging, purifying, confession, and repenting. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, you, you know me, God has forgiven your sin, past, present, future. But there's times I just need to recognize sometimes where my flesh is weak. Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. You know, it's, it's approaching and in, in being humble. I don't believe that those things are saving me because I'm already saved. You understand? I'm simply saying, Lord, <laughs> you're right. I shouldn't have had that thought. Lord, I shouldn't have made said that. Lord, how many have done that? Psalm 66, 18 says, I regard, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The Lord tells this Samaritan woman, we're halfway through. This is exciting. No, you're like, I'm terrified now. But the Lord says this, tells the Samaritan woman that God, the Father, is seeking. Now, I found this interesting. You gotta, this hour is coming, now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such who to worship him. Okay? That word seeking. I, I just looked at it all week. And is it for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. He's seeking, actively looking for that. The word seeking there is present tense and comes from the word that can mean to crave. Think about that. Genuine worship that is in spirit and truth is one of those things that God desires and yes, even craves from us. He craves that kind of worship. He seeks that kind of worship. And because in it, he's glorified. And, and this is the chief end of man, right? And ought to be the desire of every child of God this morning. Uh, what it says even in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for what? The glory of God. Now, he is craving your fellowship. Does he need it? No. He's an eternal God, self-existent the Almighty One, but He seeks it because He craves it, because He desires it. Okay, So this is the kind of worship God is after. He is not after you just coming to church. He's not impressed by, you know, being involved in so many things. That doesn't impress God. He wants that personal relationship with you. He wants to you to be in awe of him. And, you know, he wants you to hunger for him. He wants you to talk to him. He wants your devotion. He wants your humility. He wants all these things we talked about. That's what he craves. And you know what? That's what your spiritual, your born again man in you craves. So you better you feed him. Hey, those things God desires, he put in you so you'll desire them too. So let me ask you this. How does your private worship glorify God in all the things we talked about? Are you bringing glory to God by your worship? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Now, there's a lot more that can be said about what we've talked about, but is that the, is that the way you come to God in worship? Are you, first of all, and I love this, awestruck with God? 
or are you comfortable with him? Are you so impressed? He's just this wonderful father that you that that you just want to express that love to, or are you just is he your buddy? I mean, how is it that you are approaching God in your worship? Let's pray, Father. So much can be said here. I, I just, Lord, being this in the scripture now for three weeks, this passage. So much to say. We haven't even got, Father, to the place where the woman goes back to tell her community and others get saved. And what the book of Acts says about what happened in Samaria after that. Lord, there's so much here. But, Father, I just help us to worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, and we're already doing that. We just don't really recognize that sometimes. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.